Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, June 5th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, I cannot believe it's June. I don't know where this year has kind of already started to disappear, um, but it is. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's June, and we have lovely weather. Yes, for now. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, so how are things going? What's, what's up on the sort of MBA applications front? I mean, I, we're, we're still in that pivot between people making, you know, final decisions and everything and final, you know, final results coming out and versus next season. Yeah, still a little bit of weightless movement, but and there's certainly still results coming out. Um, the, this upcoming week, for instance, we've got a couple of deferred admissions um, results um, coming out. Um, I think it's Darden's doing theirs and um, Sloan. And then there's some sort of later round um, decision releases too. So Texas, McCombs, and LBS actually has its round three decision release date next week. So, so okay. there's still activity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I did see last week we had some, I guess it was Harvard two plus two announced. So yeah, that, that deferred program is now out. Um, and the, and the decisions are out. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I will say I'm, I'm seeing more and more schools, you know, starting to get ready with their application, you know, rules and instructions for the coming cycle. So, and we'll continue to cover those on the website as we always do. Uh, we do have one event coming up, Alex, that's on June 20th. It's at noon Eastern, and it's a real humans event where we're going to gather some students and alumni from top MBA programs and just talk with them about their experience getting to business school, uh, post-MBA, all of it. Um, the same type of material that you might find in the articles that we run, uh, the, that Real Humans series. And I think the school list is still being finalized in terms of where these folks have attended. I do know it sounds like there might be some uh, Wharton folks. I have to give Wharton a shout out because that's where <laughs> you and I are both affiliated to Wharton a little bit. So, um, But yeah, so more to come on that. But if you want to sign up, you just go to bit.ly forward slash Real Humans MBA, all one word, all lowercase. So that's still to come, Alex. Very good, very good. And then in July, we've got our Essay Insight series. This is something we've now been doing for, I want to say, at least three years. And it's a really popular series of webinars that we run every Wednesday in July. And we do sort of a deep dive into each school's kind of essay questions. And we have, you know, uh, admissions directors from the schools joining us. We put them on the spot about why they ask these questions, how candidates might go about responding, um, all the good stuff that you'd want to know as you're kind of beginning to work on your applications in earnest. And I do know the guest list for that one is not complete yet in terms of which schools are joining us, but it's an all-star <laughs> cast. I mean, I saw the list. I saw a sneak preview of the list and I saw... Um, Wharton Booth, Tuck, Berkeley, Columbia, Duke, Yale, Georgetown, Michigan, Cornell, uh, LBS, Sinciad. I think there was Carnegie Mellon, UNC, and there's still some others to come, some some big names, I believe, too. So anyway, yeah, that, that'll be fun. And, and there's the signups are not officially open yet. I think only folks who are registered on our site have been invited so far to sign up, but we will get a, um, a, an announcement up on the site soon, and we'll get everyone a short link who tunes into the show so that you can register, but stay tuned on that. That'll be fun. Is that a promotion to register for the site, Graham? It is. Well, I mean, it's always better to register <laughs> at clearedment.com because you get more, you know, you have access to a lot more content, but yeah, more on that in the future. <laughs> um, so one thing I wanted to ask you before we kind of start talking about 
about, you know, some of the regular news on the website that we, you know, some articles we've published and things is, you know, Harvard and Stanford both do not have admissions directors. I mean, they have acting kind of interim folks who've kind of stepped in, but, you know, both of them lost their admissions directors, let's see, uh, at the end of 22, right? So both uh, Kirsten Moss and Chad Losey left their roles around that time last year. And, you know, so we're now kind of six months into the job search and neither of those programs have announced. Now, I do know that, you know, Stanford has an interim that they've announced. Uh, and I, I'll just give a little bit of background. That, that person's name is Jamie Shine, and she's been at Stanford for a really long time. She was director of strategy and curricular support for the MBA program. She's currently actually head of career services at the school. Uh, and, and so she's just shifting over to run admissions in, on an interim basis. And then I think her next in command is going to run careers. So they're going to move on without a hiccup there. And, you know, Jamie is a super qualified, I mean, just the amount of experience she's had at Stanford is amazing. But she also has an undergrad from Harvard and an MBA from Stanford. So probably a pretty good interim <laughs> person to drop into that role. But it is interesting just that, you know, neither of these schools have yet uh, hired someone. So I don't know. What do you think is going on? I think the whole situation is very peculiar. Um, the Having both leaders, you know, top industry professionals leave mid-season, I thought was weird. And the fact that they haven't filled their spots for six months just seems weird again. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't I, really understand yeah. it. Yeah, I think that to some extent, from talking to those guys, to Kirsten and Chad, I think that by December, their view was, you know, a lot of the stuff's in motion, you know, that it's it's really, they set up this, the system. I get, I get but their yeah, point of view. <laughs> They're obviously saying it because that that's towing the line. Right, right. But yeah. I'm old school. Right. You don't leave a job mid-season. Until you've got your class, kind of. That yeah. always was the case. Yeah. So maybe this, well, I can't say new generation. Kirsten Moss would be the same generation as me, but... Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was peculiar and yeah, I, I find it very odd that, that they've, they've had six months and they still don't have permanent people in place. They've obviously got these, um, well-qualified folks um, sure. on board to sort of sail the ship. But, but yeah, you'd think that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's going to be hard to recruit for this type of role because, you know, typically it's a role that involves quite a bit of travel. Um, and sort of outward facing work and it's, it's, it's a taxing role. And yet here we are in kind of a new environment where, you know, some people are still not fully traveling, um, or comfortable with that. And then you also have issues around, I mean, this Supreme court decision that's going to come down could really reshape the way admissions is done. Uh, there's, there are a lot of like factors, you know, there's declining application volume, there's issues with, you know, tests and waivers. I mean, there are a lot of challenges, even chat GPT, potentially some schools are worried about, you know, our essay is going to be written by chat GPT. So I, I can see how it's kind of a, it's just a sort of a whirlwind time. And I wonder if they're just having trouble. Yeah, but what an exciting time. It is. Yeah, <laughs> that's true I mean, as well. <laughs> Christ, it's like, you know, the, you can completely reinvent this role. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, maybe you should apply I, for I, one of the jobs. <laughs> I'm old. So, it's, I mean, if I was 20, 20 years ago, I would yeah. jump at one of these opportunities. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm quite surprised that, that um, these roles are still open. Yeah. yeah. 
So in any event, we'll keep everyone posted. Um, and I think we are going to try to have a sit down with uh, Jamie Shine, who's the acting um, director over at Stanford as part of our admissions director Q&A series. So we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. The other thing I wanted to mention is on the website, we did have a chat uh, and did an interview with the admissions director at Rice. Um, so her name is Connie Zingarelli, and she uh, you know, answered a whole bunch of questions that we posed. But it was interesting. Um, she gave two little bits of advice that I wanted to share because I thought they were kind of very broadly applicable. So one of the things we ask is like, oh, what do you look for when you're reading an essay? And she mentioned that, you know, one common mistake she sees is that people are just too broad in their essays. And, you know, the word count's limited, she points out. So, you know, you're better off to be really authentic. She's like, we want to get to know the candidate and read essays that are unique and memorable and that bring the application to life. Um, so she just mentioned that, you know, you have a limited amount of words, might as well tell a story that's unique to you instead of you know, lingering in the kind of broad stuff that, you know, is not going to distinguish you. So I thought that was good advice. Uh, and then the other thing she said, this was interesting. So we asked her about test waivers and whether they require a test, you know, and she said, currently we require applicants to take the GMAT GRE or the executive assessment for admission to our full-time MBA program. Although there is a waiver process for those who can demonstrate quantitative abilities in other ways. We recognize that test scores are not the only indicator of a candidate's abilities, but they do provide evidence of quantitative skills and commitment. Additionally, test scores are considered when awarding scholarships and are often requested by employers in industries such as consulting and investment banking. Therefore, Rice Business views test-taking as an efficient way for candidates to showcase their strengths and demonstrate their readiness for the rigorous program and business world. So I thought that was an interesting, kind of pretty clear signal there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Get the test waiver and get stuck on the wait list, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like that, right? So, I mean, in any event. So they do allow for it, but I thought that was a very um, very clear way of kind of expressing. And I, I agree with a lot of that. And, and quite honestly, I think that, that point of view is probably similar to lots of other programs that do have a test waiver, but have good reason for students to take the test. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and and yeah, we see it and, and people are on the wait list and they, they you know, they say waived wave test. Right. I'm right. like trying to shout at them, take the yeah. <laughs> test. Yeah. That's yeah. clearly one thing that you can do to improve your chance to get off the wait list. So, right, yeah. right. Yeah, interesting. So, and then the only other thing we did on the website is we ran a handful more of our Real Humans alumni series. So we, we connected with uh, a guy named German, who is a UNC Keenan Flagler grad, class of 20. And he works as a strategic initiatives manager over at Google. He hails from Denver, Colorado, was an interesting profile um, to look at. And, and, you know, because he's a few years out, he's doing some pretty good stuff at Google by now. Mm. Uh, we also connected with Eric. I got to ask that, that guy, <laughs> are they responsible for the rollout of BARD? I mean, I don't that know. would be a strategic initiative, right? I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We can get you his email. <laughs> um, Eric, uh, we connected with someone named Eric uh, from Tepper, class of 23, so a very recent grad, but Eric works at Morgan Stanley as an investment banking associate, and he hails from Ephrata, Washington, which I had no idea where that was, so of course I, I checked it out, and it's halfway between Seattle and Spokane. So in case you're keeping score at home or have a map, you know, it's sort of in the middle of Washington state. Uh, so interesting, you know, we don't see as many bankers. Um, I feel like in these real humans, or maybe it's because we haven't focused on that sector this year. But anyway, this is someone who's doing banking. If you're curious about that sector, 
And then the last person we connected with is a, a fellow named Justin, who went to Michigan Ross, graduated in 22, and works at McKinsey. Uh, he's an associate, and I guess he works in digital strategy specifically. And Justin's from Brooklyn, New York. So those are the real humans for this past week. Encourage everyone to read those if you're interested in any of those jobs and or schools, because there's a lot of good insight and information in those articles. Very good. All right. So we're going to move into the wiretaps portion, unless you had anything else. I mean, we still are looking for reviews. It's been a little while. So if you listen to this show regularly and you haven't left us a review, please jump over to Apple Podcasts, write a review, um, leave us a rating. That stuff really helps. You can also write to Alex and I by writing to info at clearadmit.com. Just use the subject line wiretaps. So Alex, anything else on your mind this week before we dive in? No, let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate uh, is applying to one school, um, rather fitting here, first candidate, one school, and that school is Washington Foster, um, University of Washington. So in Seattle, just like uh, one of the real humans we, we just spoke about, uh, hailing from Spokane. Uh, so, so this person's looking at Foster. They want to start ideally in the fall of 24. And before business school, they've had kind of two different jobs. The first job was kind of a um, coaching and rowing job. This person is an Olympic athlete, okay? Um, And so they spent like a decade actually competing, I believe, in two Olympics um, and also, uh, you know, coaching uh, as kind of their job on the side, I guess, while they were training. And then since doing that, they spent, I think, about six years now in tech recruiting, I believe for a FANG company, if memory serves. They aren't exactly sure what they want to do after business school, but they sound really ready to pivot. You know, they've had this kind of very specific role in tech recruiting. Obviously the Olympic career is behind them with respect to rowing. And so they're now looking to kind of accelerate their career. They're much older than the average candidate because I I think they've been out of college for like 16 years at this point. Uh, GPA is a 3.42. They are located in Seattle and they want to stay in Seattle, which is why they have Foster on the list. They also did mention that they're not sure about part-time versus full-time. They mentioned that, you know, they have three kids under the age of five. And so the idea of leaving the job for two years may not make most sense, even though it sounds like it could be feasible financially. So there's a little bit of a debate there. And Alex, you had some good dialogue with this person on the site. So I don't know if you want to kind of lead us through and, and share your thoughts, but this is a rather unorthodox candidacy. Yeah, su- super unorthodox and really interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll bounce a question back to you, though, Graham, because, I mean, you think about this. This is a two-time Olympian. Um, and, you know, I think we put Olympians up on a pedestal. And, <laughs> yeah, and, as you do. <laughs> for all the right reasons, yeah. right? <laughs> but I w- I'll ask you, why, what is it about, Olympic athletes and their ilk, what is it about those types of people that are so attractive to, let's say, MBA adcom? Oh, I, th- I think there, well, it, it, there are several things. I mean, I guess it depends on the sport, but in this case with rowing, um, you know, often that's a team sport. So there's, you know, obviously an ability to work with others, but to me, the main thing is a drive, passion, um, commitment to something. I mean, to be at an Olympic level in any sport is, it's kind of insane. I mean, you really have to work at it. And so I just think you see a drive and determination in these inv- individuals that maybe you don't see in your average, you know, person on the street. At least that's how I would look at it. Yeah. And they're talented. 
Yeah, right? well, yeah, clearly. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> clearly, we could have drive and passion, Graham, but I'm not going to be representing um, <laughs> anyone anytime soon at any sport. Um, but, but, I mean, I think the point is, yeah, being a two-time Olympic athlete does show a lot of, um, you know, obviously on the talent side, but like you say, this commitment, this drive, yeah. um, and other sort of really important attributes that um, NBA Adcom will be looking at in all their candidates, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the passion and so on and so forth. So this person has dedicated sort of 10 years to the sport of rowing as an athlete and has obviously, or it seems like has accomplished a lot during that time. Um, and I think that that is going to be play really well um, in their NBA admissions process. Um, they then pivoted. They wanted to get into college coaching. Um, and for whatever reasons, that didn't um, transpire. And so they pivoted to what seems like quite a different type of career. Um, they're in technical recruiting. Um, at, and they've done this now at two of the top FANG companies. So that's you know, Meta and Netflix and Google or whatever. Um, and I assume they've done quite well in that, um, in, 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 in that situation. Um, there's nothing to suggest that they haven't. Um, so, um, but now they're, they're coming to a time where they want to do a bit of a career pivot. So, you know, they're probably in their early 40s, late 30s, early 40s. You would imagine the best route forward might be go part-time, continue to work, um, and sort of evolve that transition over what, maybe a two or three-year period, because a part-time program is... is by its very nature, going to take longer than a full-time program. Um, so typically, older candidates, regardless of what they've done, they're, they're either going to go to a part-time program or they're going to do an executive MBA-type program or whatever it might be. We think of the full-time program targeting people with four or five years of experience. Ideally, that would be the sort of the median um, spot. But going full-time would allow this person to do a more robust pivot, give them more access to recruiting and several other things. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that the part-time program is necessarily best for this person. And I think that um, the fact that they're, they, they're a very unorthodox candidate, there's no doubt about that, but the fact that they got on their CV, two times Olympic athlete or whatever, they're going to, you know, Adcom's going to take notice, right? So um, they, they might well fit in the full-time. So, so if they do go the full-time route, obviously they're still going to take the test, GMAT, and because they're quite a long time out of college, that would put a bit more sort of emphasis on the importance of getting a really high um, test score. But let's assume they get that high test score, They've also got to show, um, you know, that fit. Like his, you know, if, if everybody in, in the MBA program is a 20-something and then you're the 40-something person who's got three kids, um, you know, you've got to be convincing to Adcom that you're going to fully engage and so on and so forth. And, yeah, as we talked before we came on Airgrain, there are lots of top programs have clubs 
for partners, for kids, for various other sort of family-oriented sort of activities. So um, there will be younger folks there with kids too. Um, But to me, I think the full-time route might be the better option to affect that transition more um, efficiently. The issue will be to convince um, the the outcome that they're going to be someone that's going to fully engage, but also get the sort of job that they're seeking. Right. Um, post MBA because they want to make sure the recruiting is aligned to, to what they're looking for too because consulting firms for example are probably not looking for 40 year old folks um, in their um, thing coming out of the MBA. I might be wrong there but it might be a little bit more of a, a challenge to convince that they're ready for a two year stint consulting um, given their stage of life yeah. for example. No it's, it's a really interesting situation in that I think like you were saying at the outset of this conversation, admissions committees are drawn to people with this sort of, you know, with that sort of level of ambition and dedication to become, you know, an Olympic and talent <laughs> to become Olympic athlete. So I think on the one hand, you say, wow, really interesting. And also the fact that this person's simultaneously, you know, added to their portfolio, a kind of tr- more traditional kind of work experience yeah. is useful, right? Because often an Olympian applying to business school maybe doesn't have any reg- quote regular work experience. And so, you know, but then the downside, like you're saying, is, you know, this person's a bit older, so they're going to really have to demonstrate fit and a commitment to, to doing it. I think, um, you know, the test score is going to be important. They have a 3.42 GPA, but that's from like, you know, 16 years ago. And so the test is going to be the only kind of recent indication of this candidate's academic chops, right? So I'm hoping that they do really well on the test because that would just make this all the all the easier. I do feel like given that they haven't just been working, and, and, what I, and, and I don't mean to discount the Olympic kind of career, but the fact that they, if you look at just their sort of traditional, quote, professional work experience, it's six years. That's kind of, you know, in the ballpark mm. for what a lot of candidates have going into business school. And so if you can, you know, hold aside the Olympic training and the coaching and stuff, yeah, this person's, in terms of where they are in their career, it makes a lot of sense to go get an MBA, probably full-time, et cetera. So I'm hoping that they can get a good test score, convince the committee that they're dedicated, and, and probably do this full-time. I think it'll be easier to make the big transition. And there always are a few older candidates in any given class year. So it's yeah. certainly possible. The other thing, Graham, I didn't mention, they, they need to sort out their post-MBA goals. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I yeah, mean, I think again, yeah, it'll be easier. As, a, as an older candidate, there's an expectation that that's, there's more clarity to, to, to what they're seeking post-MBA. So as an older candidate, I'm going to want to see a very clear, all right, I'm coming to you because I want this two-year academic, rigorous academic experience, and it's going to set me up for X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah, um, makes sense. But right now, they're a little bit vague on that. Exactly. All right, so work on the career goals, get the test done, and, you know, probably consider a full-time option here. But, you you know, you did recommend maybe they should talk to Foster and, and feel them out on yeah. it, too. That's I mean, they're in Seattle. Option. They yeah. might as well talk to them directly, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. See, so, see, see where they feel. I think Foster's going to love them, but, you yeah, know, we'll see. 
Yeah, although I would say don't go over to campus or talk to Foster until you have a very clear plan with respect to goals. Because the last thing on yeah. earth you want to do is sit down in that chair and have them say, well, what are you going to do after business school? And have like kind of a, well, I'm thinking about maybe this or that. That's not going to go over well for a candidate in this kind of situation. So, um, all right. So I want to wish this person the best of luck. Obviously, very impressive profile in terms of, you know, making it to the Olympics twice. Um, but we'll see how it all turns out. Hopefully this advice was useful. Uh, let's move on, though, Alex, and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So our second candidate this week is applying to six schools. Uh, the schools are Duke, Kellogg, UCLA, Wharton, McCombs, and Darden. Uh, this candidate is a U.S. military pilot. Uh, they want to get into consulting after business school, and they're looking at Bain, BCG, and McKinsey. They are intending to matriculate in the fall of 2024. The GMAT score is a 690, and the GPA is a 3.28. This person's actually been working for 10 years, so they've been, sounds like, in the military for all that time. Uh, they're located on the East Coast, and they're thinking about heading to the West Coast after business school. They do mention that they're open to suggestions on targets, and they did say that, you know, U.S. military pilot with multiple combat deployments, significant combat flight time, uh, they've managed logistics and long-term operations of the squadron. They've planned and executed multiple large-scale exercises and movements, both stateside and in deployed environments. Uh, so they, and they have, I mean, the list goes on in terms of their accomplishments at work. They also have done some tutoring and mentoring uh, for individuals with intellectual disabilities. That was stuff they did like back when they were in college and high school. Uh, obviously, their kind of outside activities have been somewhat limited because of military life, but they are... Um, doing some volunteering with a military-centric nonprofit, and in any event, that's kind of their background. They did say that you know um, they have consulting on the list, but they're also considering you know kind of um, corporate finance. So it sounds like they're still not sure. Even though they put down McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they mentioned that there could be some interest in um, you know corporate finance and. You know, they, so it's kind of a, yeah, I want to get your take on this because it's a really interesting candidate where the work experience is kind of jumping off the page at me, you know, 10 years and lots of deployments and, you know, impressive stuff. But what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, we've had in the, in the last couple of episodes, we've had some very strong um, candidates coming out of the military, I think, in terms of their experience in the military. Um, and, and this person looks to fit that bill. Um, yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, they've also spent, um, they, they, they say they did 14 months in their early 20s of, in a full-time volunteer role out, um, outside of their community. So, so yeah, that, that speaks to a, a, a whole other dimension. And it looks like their extracurriculars have been very solid, um, both pre-military and now and so on and so forth. So that's really good. Um, I'd like them to, again, tighten their goals a little bit. Um, I think that would be good. Um, again, this is something that, um, as, as people know, when, when people go to business school, their goals may switch, right? Um, mm -hmm. Given that they're exposed to stuff that perhaps they weren't anticipating. But I'm a firm believer that the better your goals are when developed when you go into business school, the more deliberate you will be if you do switch. Um, but also it plays much better in the admissions process. Um, so if they're waffling a little bit between corporate finance or consulting, um, I think they need to sort that out. And um, 
it seems like a lot of their goal focus is reasonably standard military, so it'd be very palatable in terms of consulting for a period of time, then either a leadership development program or, or you know, something in logistics and so on and so forth. That's um, quite standard for, for you know, top military candidates. Um, the, the, the one aspect, though, that does raise a little bit of a concern, and again, we talked about this a little bit before we came um, on air, is the combination of um, a GMAT that's slightly lower than the median and a GPA, again, that's slightly lower than the median. So you've got 328 and a 690 combination. Yeah. So, you know, I would be really um, more excited if they came back and, and retook the GMAT, even bumped it up 20 points. Um, that would have impact um, because they're doing that within the context of having great work experience and so on and so forth. So any change or increase in that GMAT score is really going to cement their opportunities at these M7 type programs. Right. So the M7 top 16 that they're targeting. Alternatively, maybe do MBA math or just something that says, you know what, I'm, I'm ready, I'm prepared, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm committed on, on the academic side. Because I think everything else on this profile um, screams M7, but the numbers might make those outcome just a little bit um, queasy. Yeah, I'm going to go even harder on that one. Like, I think it's, I, I would argue that 690 is not just a bit below the median. Like, I mean, you know, most of these schools on their list are now seeing averages that are heading towards 730. And so they're 40 points below that. And I think same, you know, GPA 3.28. Well, you know, most of these schools are 3.5 or better. So I'm nervous about these numbers, even though they have obviously a, an amazing career and, and they could potentially get, you know, get into some of these schools. I just, I worry. I mean, I think when it comes to the goals, like, like you say, they can figure this out, whether it's consulting, finance, operations, yeah. whatever they're going to do, that's easy, right? But the numbers are the numbers. And unless they retake the GMAT, I'm concerned about their ability to get into these top programs on their list. So I think, um, you know, they're going to be compelling with the stories they have to tell, the essays they can write, presumably the recommendations, but I just am a little concerned. Now, you know, we've been in a period of like down volume on applications, particularly domestic applications, and this person's military. So there are a lot of potential advantages, but I just would be more comfortable going in with slightly better numbers. And since they can't change the GPA beyond taking, you know, MBA math or business fundamentals are one of those outside courses, it, it's really going to come down to the GMAT. And so I would suggest that they strongly consider a retake. Yeah, I mean, it is a fair point. I mean, it'd be interesting to know what the quant score on that GMAT is um, or, or, or where, where the issue might be. I mean, it's sure. 690, it's still a great GMAT score. But when you, when you are targeting the very top programs, you're, you're, you're in a bit of a different league. Yeah, exactly. And it might well be that this profile gets them into a top 16 program and, and puts them on the edge for an M7, whereas if that GMAT was, like you say, 730, 740, then I think M7 is, is yeah. you know, it, it, will, it would shift the needle. Yeah. Right.
Yeah. So I do want to thank this candidate for um, their service. Obviously, 10 years is a long time and they have a really impressive background. So thanks for that. And I think, you know, appreciate them sharing their profile. Hopefully this advice is good. We try to keep it, you know, very real here. So I'm, I'm just trying to give them exactly my initial thoughts, seeing those numbers and those schools, I was worried. So I think, you know, if they could retake the test or do whatever they can to address this kind of counting stats issue. Um, I think they'll be in better shape. Best of luck to them. Um, Alex, we have one more candidate, and this is Wiretap's candidate number three. So this candidate's got six schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Marshall, and Darden. Uh, This candidate also wants to matriculate in the fall of 24. Uh, They've been working, they say, in retail and marketing before business school. And post-MBA, they're interested in consumer goods and have companies like General Mills, Nike, Procter & Gamble on the target list. Their GRE score is a 321. Their GPA is a 3.3. And they have five years of work experience. And they mentioned that they plan to go into brand marketing at a consumer packaged goods or retail company. uh, And that they also are currently doing MBA math. Uh, They also state that they have been involved in extracurriculars since undergrad. So strong extracurricular profile, we'll we'll take their word for that. Uh, Alex, there's not a lot more to go on here, but what's your initial take? You look at these schools, these numbers, and kind of background. Yeah, I mean, again, kind of like a previous candidate, on the numbers side, I would be a little bit um, nervous. 321, that's probably comparable to a 690 or, you know, it's, it's yeah. on the lower end of the range anyway, 3.3. Three. Um, so, so that combination is pretty similar, yeah. um, both below the median. They say they're doing MBA math, so that's going to help. Um, I, I would, again, be curious as to understand the, the breakdown of that GRE, if it's lighter on the quant side and so forth. Um, I, I, I think... That's definitely an area of their profile that may warrant um, improvement beyond just getting MBA math. It might be that they should um, re-look at the, um, taking the GRE um, again. Um, that said, um, again, we don't have a lot of information uh, uh, about this profile other than they work, they've worked in retail and marketing. So my, my sort of gut response to that is, the key is going to be for them to show impact and growth um, at work. They've worked five years, so hopefully there's some growth there, their level of impact and how that's supported by their recommenders and so on and so forth, and then how that evolves into their sort of plan, their post-MBA goals um, and so forth. Um, They say that they are um, um, involved in extracurriculars since undergrad, so that's very good. That, I mean, that can be really helpful. Again, I'd be quite interested to know what that activity is. Are they showing impact um, with that activity and so on and so forth? Because that can really help sort of set them apart. But um, for right now, I would be a little bit nervous with the quality of programs that they're targeting. That certain those at the top end of their range might be a little bit out of reach with that combination of 321 and 33, unless obviously that work experience is um, extraordinary. They retake the GRE and do the MBA math and 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 and, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, yeah similar to that last candidate. It's like you look at it and you say, wow, the numbers are a little bit below average. I did want to know, you know, more about that work experience, because in the case of the last candidate, there's like 10 years of, you know, 
obviously a very strong like military kind of um, career and, and, and interesting accomplishments and responsibilities. So it was a little less clear here because this candidate didn't give us as much to go on. But I did want to know, like, does retail mean I worked at The Gap for a few years and then got into kind of a, a, a marketing job at the corporate level or something? Or is retail just, oh, no, I started my career working in the corporate offices of you know, a retail company yeah. and then moved into marketing at another type of company. So we just don't know enough here. I do like the profile in terms of, you know, it's like a little less common to have people from CPG who are kind of really passionate about um, staying in kind of retail and marketing. Um, so, so that's good. And yeah. I, I, you know, another thing I was thinking of is schools like Ross and Indiana Kelly um, also come to mind when I'm thinking about those sectors um, and, and, and Wharton as well. I mean, just in terms of schools with strong marketing programs, good CPG placements. So, you know, those are other programs they may want to be looking at as they sort of think this through. And I think it's great that they're taking MBA math. I still feel like if I had my druthers, it'd be another test, um, you know, a, a retake of the test or, you know, a, an attempt to boost it. We don't know much about this candidate, though, beyond that. Like, we don't know the gender of this candidate. We don't know if they come from a, you know, socioeconomically disadvantaged background or something. So there are other factors that could change, you know, the point of view on this based on, you know, um, where they're coming from and stuff. But it's, yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's kind of like, when you first look at it, you say, are these the right schools for these numbers? And right. the answer is, well, the numbers are a little below average. So um, we'll see. I mean, they hopefully can put together solid applications. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully they'll reveal more on ApplyWire and, and, and maybe this conversation will spur that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Because they could provide us with some more details. As as anyone who posts to ApplyWire can always do by leaving comments, but only if you're registered on the site, which <laughs> which is which is free. It's free to register. I'm just joking around with today, Alex. But I, I yeah. do. <laughs> it is something that I, it does allow you to leave comments and things. So in any event, um, Alex, thanks for picking these out. I think what was interesting this week was that we got to sort of talk about candidates that have you know it's not all kind of. Um, top numbers and, and like just obvious, you know, quote, clear admits into these programs. Like there are always things that they're going to need to be addressed. And, and so it was good to underline some of those for people. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good. Best luck, everyone. Take care.